0: I'm Robert Schertzer, Clinical Associate Professor, UBC Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences and we're Talking About Glaucoma for November 18th, 2009 with Richard Hom, with over 25 years experience in medical optometric eye care. In this, the ninth episode, we discuss the factors to consider when purchasing a visual field device for functional assessment of patients. A future episode will concentrate more on structural assessment of the optic nerve. Dr. Hom was a low vision and specialty contact lens consultant for Kaiser's San Francisco Medical Center from 1984 until 1999 and from 2002 until 2006 served as coordinator primary care optometry San Mateo Medical Center. Please check the show notes of this podcast for additional notes and links. Follow Dr. Hom and I on Twitter where he is Grand Rounds for ODs, that's with the number 4, and I am Rob Scherzer, and on my blog at wholelotarob.com, where I cover glaucoma, health, and technology. There is also a page on my blog that Dr. Hom and I have started for collaboration between optometrists and ophthalmologists to better care for our patients. We'll start now as Dr. Hamm fills us in on his background, then we talk about visual field machines.
1: Hi, my name is Richard Hom, and I'm both an optometrist and a graduate student in public administration at the San Francisco State University. Uh, for the last 20 plus years, I've had uh, clinical experience in both uh, interprofessional uh, collaboration by working at a large HMO and at various hospital and ophthalmological practices throughout California. Uh, I uh, my specialist, uh, my specialty or interest, is both glaucoma and uh, diabetes. In fact, that has translated to a research project over the last six years uh, to enable primary care medicine to use uh, digital retinal photography to screen for diabetic retinopathy in order to uh, get a more timely uh, referral to the appropriate source for the management of diabetic eye disease. And thank you, Dr. Scherzer, for inviting me to this afternoon.
0: Uh, thank you for joining me on talking about glaucoma. And it's it's really interesting. The way we ended up connecting was actually through the internet, through, all, through our mutual interest in using technology for patient care, and we connected uh, through Twitter. Yes, and where my Twitter name is Rob Schertzer. and and your my is... name is
1: Grand Rounds. Uh, Grand Rounds for ODS. That's a uh, number four.
0: Yep, yeah. and we we. It had some interesting exchanges over the past number of months, and one of the dialogues we got into just quite recently had to do with when you tweeted something about uh, visual field machines and what, what's the best visual field machine to choose in practice. And I thought, hey, that would be great to continue uh, in a podcast with a well, discussion.
1: That, okay, that, yeah, uh, and that really is something that I've been uh, consulting privately with uh, optometric practices on which uh, uh, field machine to buy, because that is actually a very, that's a nebulous uh, subject for some.
0: Yes, Cindy, and part of the, uh, I guess there are different factors to the equation. One of of them is the initial cost of the machine certainly Mm -hmm. plays a a big role. And then with with your choice of machines, uh, the flexibility you'll have, whether you're in an office that has a fully integrated electronic medical record system and you want to be able to access the information at each workstation or not. And some of the trade-offs you have between the devices, some may be better for networking but lack some other uh, very important analysis, so maybe you could share your thoughts there.
1: Yes the uh, in the uh, in the market for uh, visual fields uh, in optometry in the united states uh, there are uh, the uh, the decision or preference to choose a uh, particular visual field uh, i think is primarily driven by the pr- scope of practice law within that state since uh, there are 50 states there are actually 50 different varieties of practice and because uh, the management of optometry uh, of glaucoma by optometry has not necessarily been uh, uniform over all of these uh, jurisdictions, uh, I believe that the mode of practice is actually the primary decision point. Uh, it could come from it could be as uh, different along a continuum as uh, I detect glaucoma, and I'm going to refer it. I don't wish to manage it all the way up to I detect glaucoma and I want to manage it it until I'm not capable or it's outside of my hands. Along that continuum, therefore, there are different machines uh, that uh, would suit the practitioner. And then secondarily, as you mentioned, Dr. Schertzer, is the ability to interface with other machines and with uh, the uh, use of uh, networking in electronic medical records.
0: Right, so I guess guess then we could uh, start with the detection and uh, the devices that are available for that. I presume in this case we're talking about things like frequency doubling, doubling technology.
1: Te- exactly. Um, the, uh, the development of the frequency doubling technique uh, was suspect From early, because how many optometrists uh, didn't necessarily uh, believe that a very simple uh, product uh, could detect glaucoma far in advance the visual field uh, machines uh, or traditional visual field machines, and so therefore, uh, but research has now kind of uh, borne out that these machines can actually detect glaucoma uh, damage uh, much earlier than traditional visual field. Uh, So, therefore, the use of FDT, whether it's the first version or the matrix, is actually a pretty good uh, choice for optometrists who want to do detection and refer, because you're not trying to manage it, and you're not trying to manage progression. Uh, The FDT machine will always show damage, but I have found in my use of the matrix that it is not as sensitive in uh, giving you granular uh, iterations of damage as a, as would a regular uh, visual threshold visual field would. So, uh, but it is a very small machine. It's very small footprint, and uh, it's quite easy to use. It's very easy on the eyes of the uh, of the patient, and uh, it's printable. The difficulty is is that it's not workable in general. So that is a, a problem. But for screening purposes, I think. Uh, the uh, frequency double doubling technique is, and is an excellent first choice for most doctors.
0: Right. And in my situation where I'm in a tertiary care glaucoma practice, I'm receiving patients who have had this test done by people who are screening. Uh, and, but for the most part, I'm seeing them just with the first generation FDT and not so much with the matrix. And my impression there is that there are a lot of false positives, but it's... It's a reasonable trade off because at least that way you're not missing people with glaucoma, even if you tend to be overcalling it for some.
1: Exactly. Uh, the difference of the uh, first generation FDT and the second is that you could uh, do a FDT 24 uh, 2 threshold type uh, pattern strategy, and this would mimic a greater number of uh, areas that you're testing for. Uh, however, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's that much better. Uh, however, in the offices that I have seen or have actually worked in, uh, I have found that it does pick up more than just glaucoma. It will pick up uh, some field defects in the retina, which uh, the FTT doesn't. Cool. So that's why the matrix might be slightly better for other than glaucoma.
0: Good. So as, in terms of a screener, if, if uh, someone had a choice you would lean more towards recommending the matrix? Yes, yeah. matrix.
1: Okay. Pardon me. I find it very easy to use, that's why it's also very nice.
0: Right, and the whole test takes about a minute?
1: Yes, uh, the uh, uh, I'd say one and a half to two minutes based on a right. patient. And, and uh, the nice thing about it is to the patient, they're not tired.
0: Uh, that's true, so there's no fatigue by the time you get to the second eye and they're missing everything that you can get with the longer tests? Yes. In fact, we had this set up once, oh gosh, this was, this must have been, I don't know, 15 years ago in San Francisco at an American Academy of Ophthalmology meeting where Kirby Puckett was the spokesperson for glaucoma. Yes. And we were set up in Union Square screening people for glaucoma using the FDT, which was uh, a new machine at the time.
1: Uh, yes, I'm uh, familiar with uh, Kirby Puckett's story, and uh, he's a good example of a great screening device that would have picked up uh, uh, dramatically his damage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that comes to the next question is, uh, would a uh, threshold traditional threshold visual field uh, be of uh, value, or when can it, should it be purchased? Uh, I find that the uh, those offices that... Uh, want to manage glaucoma in the very earliest stages, uh, or where those states that allow uh, optometrists to uh, treat and manage uh, more than just uh, primary open-angle glaucoma, they, can, they must have some type of uh, functional uh, testing device. And for uh, many, they actually supplement this with structural. But for the basis of this discussion, uh, I would strictly talk about visual field. Right. Uh, the uh, One of the things that I notice about uh, some visual field instruments is the ability to do perimetry. Uh, there's only one device I know that does actually greater than uh, – it can actually test out to 60 degrees, something very close to what a uh, old-fashioned uh, Goldman perimeter does. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I believe that it will actually give you the uh, similar uh, parallel or uh, – a similar similar testing as the uh, isopters uh, that you see uh, in Goldman paramet- uh, perimetry, so uh, if a uh, optometrist is interested in uh, peripheral uh, visual field defects like in the case of uh, driver license testing or other things, then they should look for that type of uh, visual field in general though any visual field uh, has uh, will do the Job and if you do enough tests on the same patient, you will discover that the individual uh, disadvantages of a particular visual field are probably uh, overshadowed by the number of repetitious uh, repetitions you do. So, what I find about most people is uh, is it is it able? Are you able to uh, compare results from one to the next? Uh, and if that's the case, then you can do multiple and then actually i usually say say that three visual fields will probably on different days will probably tell you that uh, the machine is doing its job or not uh totally, i think totally agree yes yeah. so the it hasn't been mentioned too much About that, uh, although OHTS did say that an initial uh, visual field is more than 50% probability that it won't appear on the repeat uh, performance, Uh, but I have found that due to the uh, learning curve, the third one is so much better than the first one. Uh, And only if there is a significant defect would I ever manage glaucoma on just one visual field and uh, never in the uh, absence of any other signs.
0: (coughs) Exactly, because most, most of the time, glaucoma is slow to progress, and if you're going to end up drastically altering treatment just based on one visual field test, when it turns out that that's just an anomaly, you'd be doing the patient a big disservice. Yes.
1: Now, uh, there's another thing about visual fields which I find uh, interesting is that uh, in advanced glaucoma, where the visual field is very deep, I probably think that the threshold visual field uh, probably doesn't have as much relevance as would a structural uh, uh, device. So in those cases of optometrists who want to practice uh, in that particular uh, arena, I would advise them not to depend upon the visual field because it's very difficult to uh, measure. Uh, due to fixation and things of other sort uh, to really give a progress. Uh, And so therefore, uh, I fear that progress, uh, that the progression of the disease might uh, be unseen in a threshold visual field when it's advanced visual field loss.
0: That's true. And that actually, uh, part of that is because of a uh, (laughs) uh, psychophysiological phenomenon uh, which has to do with how the threshold is determined and it's, it's hard to explain that just in words without drawing the frequency yeah. of seeing curve. But that frequency of seeing curve really flattens out the bigger the defect is. So it's much harder to be precise as to what the actual threshold is for the 50% seeing point. Input. Yes. So the, the, the only device that could really overcome that is the Goldman visual field because then you move to a bigger test target and end up straightening out the frequency of seeing curve.
1: Yes, yes. And uh,
0: there's, I, th- I think, except at the University of Iowa where they've modified an automated machine to do that, I don't think there's any commercially available one that will alter the object test size automatically if, uh, when needed.
1: No, uh, you'd have to actually restart the uh, whole thing and do another test set, right. which which is uh, uh, kind of like uh, difficult because sometimes you don't know what the field of defect is until you've finished it and printed it out. And you, you say, oh, okay, then you know that's what the problem is. But uh, in my case, I still recommend uh, most uh, optometrists who uh, see uh, – moderate to advanced uh, glaucoma, uh, either on a co-management basis, that they probably should uh, leverage some other technology other than a visual field. Uh, the other areas of visual field is that I particularly like is there are some visual field units that uh, do not depend on ambient light. Uh, there are some doctor's offices uh, that can control ambient light, and there are others that don't. Uh, I have used both, and I have found that uh, if the machine can be used independent of ambient light, uh, that is uh, an advantage for the practical nature of the practice of optometry, uh, and I feel that uh, there may be uh, no significant difference between the machines that uh, depend on a very a very dark environment versus uh, no ambient light. So that may be a big consideration. Uh, and secondly is uh, whether you can actually uh, generate a report that is uh, understandable by other uh, Practitioners, If you are referring to somebody, uh, traditionally a 24-2 readout is uh, the most common, although uh, that doesn't mean that that machine is the best. There are equally uh, or maybe even better machines than the Humphrey. But as the standard, a 24-2 uh, is easily understood. And if a visual field machine can generate that, I think that uh, that makes co-management a lot easier.
0: Right. Now, one of my frustrations with the Humphrey when I changed my offices about five years ago and had to actually pay for a machine. Well, I guess that's two of my frustrations. One was the, <laughs> the cost of the Humphrey machine, at least here in Canada. The fully equipped one was about, I think, about $45,000 at the time uh, versus some of the other machines. Uh, and the second frustration with the Humphrey was the difficulty in putting it into a network setting.
1: Yes, um, I... Uh I'm pretty I'm actually uh, uh quite knowledgeable about the uh operating systems of various uh, machines uh, as well as dedicated machines and I find that uh this is one of the difficulties that I think I see in uh, the engineers at uh, who run Humphreys I I get the impression that uh They are mainly concentrating on the other products rather than the Humphreys. There's been practically no movement in uh, making the Humphrey device easier to use, in my opinion, networking be one, and also uh, the ability to use other devices to store the the backup data. That's really been very maddening, uh, in my opinion.
0: Right. In our university setting at UBC, where they have four Humphrey machines, every, every night one technician has to stay behind and copy all the tests that were done uh, on one machine onto all the others, so they have to go f- copy all the ones from all four machines onto all the other machines, just in case the patient the next time they 're there gets their test on one of the other machines <laughs> so. now, um, Humphrey it- did have a software solution for that a few years back that sort of appeared for I think about six months and disappeared. I think they called it something like Symphony, and it was another twenty five or forty thousand dollar piece of software just to just to <laughs> allow networking. And yeah, there's, there's uh, also PeriData. Data. Have you had? A yes. Implementing uh, Perry Data.
1: I have. Uh, I actually have been an Octopus user from the very beginning, uh, from the Octopus 100 onwards. Okay. Uh, I like Octopus a lot, uh, and that's my primary favorite. eye. If there was a you know I just find that their fixation control is much better, uh, their uh, ability to analyze repeat is much better, uh, so uh, they have actually a very uh, full complement uh, thought about their product, I think
0: now do they have a comparable test to the glaucoma the the GPS, the gPA the glaucoma probability? Progression, yeah. the glaucoma progression analysis that Humphrey has?
1: Well, not quite. Uh, you do, they try to mimic it, uh, but I think that uh, they, I don't think that they have quite uh, equated that yet. Uh, I think that in general, uh, they don't have it. I think the paratrend was an excellent technique. It's not, it doesn't show a particular report. I think that is exactly equal to the uh, Humphrey's, uh, you know, uh, particular approach. So therefore, but I do believe that they have lots of testing that uh, does show, uh, you know, uh, statistical uh, relevance. uh, And uh, to me, as good as the Humphrey, although one is not trained on the Humphrey, then really uh, it really makes, uh, it's not as important. That's why optometrists in general, when the, they don't buy a particular product, they, they won't feel the problem of Humphrey uh, because they've been using a particular company product all of this time. And so, therefore, uh, that wouldn't necessarily be uh, quite the issue. Uh, although in ophthalmology, uh, there may be a standard, and therefore receiving reports uh, would be sometimes difficult based on uh, this particular problem.
0: Right now, with the Octopus, is there um, networking options and external storage options with their yes, latest uh,
1: machines? Yeah, the latest machine, uh, especially the Octopus Pro, uh, uh, you can buy an optional Ethernet port, and uh, I think it's web uh, interface to network with other devices. So there is a little bit of a, a network protocol that's built into the uh, ROM on the uh, Octopus machine. Uh, that's been really nice.
0: And that's great. And I think I've mentioned to you online that I've, I've been using the Medmont perimeters and, and those they also lack the glaucoma progression analysis but they're so easy to network because they are just dummy bowls. There's no CPU in them, no printer. They just plug into whichever computer you have in your room and you store your data wherever you want. So you could store the data from all your uh, Medmont perimeters onto your server and access it from any workstation in the office. So that's what I have. Low low cost, uh, <laughs> easy for repairs because there's no CPU or printer. I believe it's the printer that usually goes in the Humphrey machines. And, uh, but some trade-offs in terms of the analysis.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the med, I have to admit that I have not uh, – I don't know much about the Medmont because, uh, you know, so therefore I will uh, – I didn't know they didn't have a CPU. That's, that's uh, actually pretty nice because a lot of the other companies, uh, they charge a significant amount for uh, subscription uh, support because of the fact that there are so many things on the machine. Right. Uh, so lastly about uh, uh, visual fields is, uh, you know, I think uh, would – uh, you know, should uh, uh, in the case of referring to your co-managing or reference ophthalmologists, a uh, lot of optometrists uh, want to know feedback uh, that is very relevant to uh, whether this is a uh, over referral, under referral, and they want to learn a little bit. Uh, and ophthalmologists uh, who. F- Portray all optometrists as being one direction or another sometimes miss that opportunity uh, to uh, be collaborative and uh, therefore uh, ensure that the uh, optometrist would work with the ophthalmologist in a consistent manner uh, and this is more of a practice management on the part of the optometrists; uh, they sometimes are very sensitive to the uh, to the report back or whatever and uh, so therefore. Uh, I think that providing sufficient information uh, back and forth uh, would really uh, improve the collaborative nature of that management. Uh, Of course, in a busy practice, sometimes we forget uh, on either side uh, those issues, but when we talk about and sit in conferences or in the hallway, uh, that is probably one of the biggest complaints about uh, co-management is uh, receiving or... Uh, sending uh, letters, how they received, what was back, and uh, was it a teaching moment. Uh, uh, and sometimes uh, some uh, either side may feel hesitant or uh, modest about uh, going forward on that and fearing that there might be some, you know, uh, insinuation. But realistically, that's what a lot of optometrists would love to do is uh, having a little bit of a uh, more open collaboration. I think that would... Simplify the core management on either side?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I certainly try to do my best in providing feedback and, and say that, you know, that's a great pickup, uh, early detection. Sometimes when it, the patient's being sent with the FDT result, um, actually, mo- most of my referral base, they'll usually repeat it again. They won't base it just on one FDT. And they'll often order a Humphrey test as well. confirm what they found on the FDT so that we have a great group here in the Vancouver area. And collaboration, gosh, between optometry and ophthalmology, that's quite a sticky subject and different in different states down there and different provinces up here. And uh, I guess that's part of what we've been trying to address a little bit on our our blog that we started doing together.
1: Yes. I think that uh, even, uh, I think that it's also incumbent upon optometrists to understand that uh, uh, if, the, if, if they are able to express uh, their concerns ahead of time, uh, therefore, uh, the, there will these questions will be answered and not left to to some uh, deliberation later. But open communication what you want, what you need. I find that the trend in optometry is uh, to refer cases to subspecialists, uh, even though uh, that might be over-referral. So in many cases, simple opto- uh, glaucoma would uh, immediately go to a subspecialist rather than to a general ophthalmologist. Uh, so therefore, the uh, um, there is a very strong uh, tie between subspecialty uh, ophthalmology and optometry. Uh, I think that uh, that is a... Uh, pattern uh, that's being duplicated throughout uh, the country, uh, and I think that uh, that's a, a advantage for the subspecialists, uh, although uh, I'm not exactly sure whether the subspecialists, uh, how they respond. In the United States, I've not been able to garner any significant... Uh, what I call uh, feedback from that, but that's what I think I'm hearing uh, from across the country in uh, many states.
0: Right, it's it's very similar here um, in terms of that sort of interaction. But I guess one of the impossible things to answer then is what happens with the non-subspecialized ophthalmologists and their relationship with optometry. But I think that <laughs> that uh, I, that. Of that's iceberg. a
1: very yes yeah, so it's <laughs> like a pandora's box you might say
0: <laughs> so we won't get into that but this yeah. has been such an enjoyable conversation to have and i hope we could do this again
1: okay just my pleasure uh, any other questions you like or
0: no i think we covered a lot i i guess if we want to sum things up um,
1: okay um Thank you. Uh, uh, In uh, purchasing or or reviewing, uh, whether you, uh, whether an optometrist, uh, how should they manage uh, possible disease? They should employ some type of technology over and above uh, just looking with the fundus with a a ophthalmoscope in order to help them. Uh, You know, adequately manage it, and that uh, one of the most basic uh, additional devices is a visual field device of some sort. And depending upon the model that they practice, whether it's detect and refer or manage, that should determine uh, what direction uh, they uh, they do now. For most optometrists who do detect and refer, a FTD device, uh, preferably the matrix, would be ideal. And there probably isn 't any requirement to do uh, to get anything else for those who want to do more. Uh, they could do the FTT and a visual field uh, a traditional visual field, but the majority of the will probably do detect and refer, and so therefore the FTT device uh, by matrix by Zeiss would be uh, would be adequate to, and actually be very optimal in my opinion. Uh, I think that in using the data uh, <clears throat> As you had said, more than one test sometimes can ensure that uh, that uh, evens out any uh, unusual occurrences in testing, uh, whether it's uh, patient, uh, you know, uh, hesitancy or education, uh, or, or some other type of problem. Uh, so optometrists uh, should probably uh, check their uh, findings by reduplicating, by t- running it again at least once. Uh, and as they get more comfortable, uh, share with their referring, uh, to who they refer to, uh, their findings and how best, better to manage it. Uh, I think that uh, open communications uh, would definitely improve on collaboration.
0: Great. And then when it comes to eye care professionals who are following for progression, then you would need yes. to move on to other machines like Humphrey, uh, Octopus or the Medmont machines. Pfft.
1: Yes, and uh, for most optometrists who actually are going to uh, manage, there are many uh, optometrists who actually uh, will see uh, glaucoma patients in between the annual visits with the subspecialists. And uh, you can, uh, in those arrangements, uh, those optometrists who have been able to successfully do that have employed uh, structural uh, analysis devices, I recommend structural analysis devices if uh, they're going to do something that's related to uh, deep or advanced glaucoma, uh, that is probably uh, almost required. So, the visual field devices are great for up to moderate uh, uh, loss. Uh, and one thing to consider again is if uh, an optometrist is considering uh, using the, uh, the device for peripheral vision, is to uh, select what type of uh, device, Asher vendor, whether they can uh, test for. Uh, peripheral vision. And uh, since driver license uh, acceptances is a a consideration, I think that that is uh, something that uh, they should uh, consider when purchasing a visual field device.
0: Great. And, well, actually some of the devices, uh, I guess all of the automated machines have an Esterman type of functional visual test strategy built into them. And that that one is one with both eyes open and Weighs the center of the vision more. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, so that, that's great. Well, I guess it's a wrap. And okay. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: That's my pleasure. We'll see you again.
0: You bet. That's our show for today. Be sure to subscribe to this series so that you will receive each episode as I produce them. Sometimes I get bogged down with my family commitments, clinical work, or carried away with my blog or Twitter, but still greatly enjoy producing Talking About Glaucoma when time permits. Talking About Glaucoma is a non-profit podcast that I produce once each month or so as time permits, in AAC format that includes chapter markers, and in MP3 format that does not I am the director of the West Coast Glaucoma Center in Vancouver and clinical associate professor of ophthalmology and visual sciences at the University of British Columbia. Please send comments or suggestions to podcast at iguy.org, that's I-G-U-Y, and follow me on Twitter, where I am Rob Schertzer. Also, check out my work website at westcoastglaucoma.com and my glaucoma health and tech blog at wholelotarob.com. Please help detect and treat glaucoma by keeping informed.